you. Gosh, it feels like I was only up here yesterday. That's good. Um, I'll give you all one guess of what I'm preaching on. No? Nah. No. Nah. Well, yes. That's cheating, Carl. <laughs> no, I'm actually going... I'm, I'm going to jump straight in because I'm actually nervous and I'm going to run out of time because there's so much I want to say. Um, but I'm actually uh, talking on the fear of the Lord again. can't believe no one got that. I mean, I'm going to bat it for like oh, two months. But anyway, um, so this is... I guess you could, you could consider this part three um, in, a, in a series. I just decided now it's become a series. And, um, and this is part three. Maybe there'll be part four, I don't know. Um, and you know what? It's, I've said this before, but it's not like we get together. I don't know what people think what happens behind you know, the scenes here, but it's not like we get together and we talk about what we're going to preach about. Sometimes it might happen just organically in conversation. We're like, oh, yeah, you know, well, what are you preaching on next week? But literally, this happens almost every time now. We, I've come to accept it. Um, literally, Todd on Sunday morning touched on a key point that the Lord showed me over the last couple of weeks. And then Daryl gets up on Sunday afternoon and preaches almost the exact same word, but from a, a different angle, um, which, is, which is nice. It's, it's encouraging and it's, it's, it's confirming. So enjoy the word of the Lord tonight because it definitely is the word of the Lord. Um, and I realise I probably should have gone to the bathroom before I got up here, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'll be fine. <laughs> Just one second. I make myself up, up at home here, don't I? Don't drink. I have to because I get dry throat. Okay, all my dignity's just gone. It's only up from here. Okay. All right, so let me just quickly recap. Um, over the last couple of months, I preached on the fear of the Lord. The first one being around how to identify where our value systems um, don't match up with the Lord's and what it means to have fear of the Lord. Um, who was here for that? Good. And, and the second one was a Sunday afternoon, not long ago, and I talked about um, how we see obedience as a tick box reality. Um, and really obedience has to be, we have to see the goodness of God in our obedience. Otherwise, it actually breeds resentment. So um, tonight I'm going to be talking about the connection between the fear of the Lord and joy. And it, I honestly didn't, it's not like I think of these things, okay? Like it, it's, I'll, I'll, I wanna unpack the entire journey so you can see how it is that he spoke to me throughout because it really was a journey and it should be. Um, and again, I'm not gonna do this without, you know, sharing my own personal, very personal actually, um, portions of, of, you know, because I just think it's so important to be able to attach it to something, Otherwise, it's too abstract. Um, all right. So let me share with you how this all unfolded. So like everybody else, I have levels of brokenness in my world. Every single person in this room, every single person on this planet has levels of brokenness. Um, but I've done a lot of heart journey as well. As soon as I understood, actually, before I even knew what it was, I found myself organically, you know, just owning the fact that I was super broken and super desperate. Um, and whenever I share, the, whenever people ask me, oh, you know, how do, you know, what was your journey? How did you even end up where you are? I always start with how broken and desperate I was when I came into um, Field of Dreams, which wasn't even that long ago. It was like five years ago. Yeah. Um, right, where was I? Yeah, so I've, I've done a lot. Okay, now listen, don't, don't worry about the gazillion pages. I literally have to write down every single thought because every single time I go through what he tells me, more windows open up. 
And then I just, it's almost like I've got a brand new preach. So I literally today had to write down every single thought to discipline myself. So it's not as bad as it looks, don't worry. And that's why if I keep looking down, it's not because I don't know what I'm talking about. It's because I literally have to discipline myself. All right. Okay. So yes, where was I? Heart journey. Yes. So I've done a lot of heart journey and I've actually, like, I really have gone after taking territory. Um, you said that to me the other day. I really, really have made it a priority. Um, and it's, it, it's been a very costly journey but it's also been the most rewarding. Um, anything that you see, like anything that, you know, anything that comes out of this place is because of something I've journeyed with the Lord. Um, and I'm gonna break down this particular part of, of the word tonight into two, into two sections. I'm gonna talk about the legal side or the legal part. And I'm gonna talk about the practical part. Now, when I say that, it's gonna take me 30 seconds. All right, so when I say the legal part and, and the heart journey, I'm talking about those things that we do because they're the right thing to do. We're talking about repentance, renunciation, um, you know, if you need to address something in the courts of heaven. Uh, so I'm talking about those, those things that we have to address spiritually, legally in the spirit. And then there's the practical part, right? There's the part where it actually has to look like something to trade out of an old mindset or, or a flawed mindset or a, a, a belief um, system or an operating system. We can't, we can't fool ourselves and think, I've, I've done all the right things, I've been to the courts of heaven and I've, or I've repented of this. It then has to look like something in the natural. It has to be played out. It has to be traded out of. And, and that's the part I'm gonna be sharing um, tonight. So it all started, uh, you know, a, a while ago. Um, I was observing Maddie one day, not in a weird way. She didn't know that I was going to say that. Um, not in a weird way. Sometimes, you know, just because we spent a lot of time together, I was just looking at her. Like, I, was just, I was just watching her one day. And, I, and as I was watching her, I realised that she had something that I didn't have. And when I say I didn't have, it wasn't like I didn't have it. It was, it was I, I realised it was something that I, I hadn't allowed to become me. I didn't own it and it was bugging me. And about two hours later, I was in the car, I was on the way home and I was really thinking about it. I was like, I was, I was replaying that whole, you know, scenario in my mind. And I was like, what is it that, what is that thing that I'm aware of? It's a thing, but what is that thing? And the Lord said to me, it's joy. Maddie organically, naturally by default carries a lot of joy. A lot of other things, but <laughs> just joking. I couldn't make you look amazing. <laughs> just joking, she's amazing. Um, but I just, I was like, that's right. Maddie, you guys with me? Maddie carries a lot of joy. You just can't help it when you're around her. She's just joyful. And I was like, okay, all right. Now, at least now I know what I'm working with. <laughs> so when, sorry. So when I got home um, and over the, the, the couple of days after that, um, I was spending time with the Lord and, and I, was, I was just meditating on that. And I realised that, you know, joy is, is something that is not that simple. It's not, it's not that obvious. And I realised that I had all the brochures, I had the coupons even, but I didn't own the shares in joy. Meaning I realised that I had joy by accident sometimes. And I think that in our faith journey, there's a lot of things that we have by accident and we enjoy them until the moment passes and we just don't know how to get them back again. And we, it's almost like chasing, you know, um, things down rabbit holes. So 
and then the Lord said to me, he said, you don't understand joy. And that's why you feel like you've only got it by accident. Now, he didn't say, I didn't have it. He said, you don't understand it. I think we have a, I think we have a lot of things that we don't understand. Um, so of course, I heard it through a filter. And so I asked him to give me joy. And then he took me to, there's a, there's a fair bit of scripture tonight, but so I asked him to give me joy because I was like, oh, I don't have it, I want it. He didn't say that, he said, you don't understand it. I'm like, oh, give me joy. Um, and then he took me to Romans 15, 13, which says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy, all, all, all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now the word they're believing means to have faith in and to entrust one's spiritual well-being to the Lord. I'll say that again. The word believing there means to entrust your spiritual well-being with the Lord, to put our trust in Him. Now that's pretty much the fear of the Lord, right? We talked about the fear of the Lord a lot and, and how it actually really in simple terms means trust. So now may the God of hope fill you with all joy. But you just said to me that you don't give it but it's in our believing. It's in our entrusting Him with our spiritual well-being. Take out the word spiritual, if that's gonna be too, too um, restricted for you, too limited, with our well-being. And then He said to me, He said, I don't give you joy, I give you myself. And I am your portion. And, and what you take, what, what your, whatever portion you have in whatever season in your life depends on our revelation of, of who the Lord is, of who Jesus Christ is. So it's not like on your scroll, this is my opinion, it's not like on your scroll, yep, in, in May next year, you're gonna get a portion of grace. It doesn't work like that. It's, it's how you posture yourself before the Lord and what it is that you, what you pull from Him. So I was asking the wrong question, clearly. And it also reveals that, that um, the difference between our Western mindset and the Hebrew mindset. Because here it's asking us to, to, to think the Hebrew way. Do it first and then you'll understand it. But our problem is that we put too many caveats on the Lord. Now for those of you, I've got the dictionary definition here of a caveat. It's a notice that certain actions may not be taken without informing the person who gave the notice. So in simple terms, Lord, I will, I will do what you say when I, when I have this guarantee or when I'm aware, when I'm made aware of this, or it can look like this. When I see this particular outcome, then I'll know you're good. When I feel this particular way, then I know that I can trust you. That's a value system. And this is where we get it wrong most of the time. And in my last preach, I talked about the garment of heaviness. And when the Lord said to me, because He mentioned, so this whole joy thing has been a journey for me for a little while now. Um, and in my last preach, I mentioned, because he, 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 we just touched on joy in, in the conversation between the Lord and I. And He said, people struggle with joy because they feel naked without the garment of heaviness. And when I shared that last time, I was talking about sometimes joy or, or, or wanting joy. Actually, no, take, forget that. 
the cost of laying down your garment of heaviness is also laying down your rights to what you think you're entitled to justice-wise. It's gonna cost you something. I forgot to tell you what the name of the message was. It was the cost of true joy. Okay, there you go. All right, so, all right, so going back to heaviness, and obviously, you know, we most famously known in Isaiah 61 verse three, where it talks about the spirit of heaviness. The word there means feeble, and it also means to despond. And I had to Google all of these. Um, so, in, so, and to, to, to despond, so the effect to despond means to become dejected and to lose confidence, right? Now, what I'm describing here is mostly a lightning speed process that takes place in your subconscious, okay? You don't wake up in the morning going, oh, I feel a bit dejected. You might, depending on how in touch you are with your inner world, but it's something that happens at lightning speed and your value systems get created and established at the same rate, right? Okay. Now, I wanna go to Proverbs 15, 13, where it says, a merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. Now, I'm gonna remind you, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna bring back and pin right here the phrase that he gave me about joy, where people struggle with joy because they feel naked without the garment of heaviness. And we've just read, a merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. So if we just unpack that one portion of scripture, we see an entire process. We see the cause and we see the effect. The cause in what the Lord said to me, that people feel naked without their heaviness and the effect being a broken spirit, right? Now, to break it down even further, the word sorrow there actually means an idol. It can mean a pain or a wound, but the first um, definition there is idol. And the root word of that word sorrow means to carve out, to fashion and to fabricate, to rest, not rest, W-R-E-S-T. If my son was here, he'd say two letter R, W-R-E-S-T, to rest. Now, I didn't really know what that meant. I was like, yeah, okay, it comes from maybe the word wrestle, but I'm gonna read to you what it actually means. To rest means to distort the meaning of something to suit your own interest or view. So a merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. So, so there, so by an idol I've created in my heart where I have distorted and twisted information to suit my own interests and views. That's a value system. Just by breaking down one single word in that portion of scripture, that's a value system. So I, I, wanna, I wanna share what, what he showed me about me. When I was having this conversation, like when we got up to this point of the conversation, I was basically, I'm giving you the tidy parts. There was a lot of um, wrestling with him in between. And in the wrestling, it kind of looked like this. I was like, I, I, I know that I'm, I'm the problem, but I don't understand. You're saying that you, that you are joy, but why can't I, like, what, what is it in me? Why can't I receive it? Like, what, what is happening inside? And then he showed me a vision, a very clear vision of a season in my life that 
um, and it, it was just like really like watching a movie. He showed me, so as soon as I saw the vision, I knew exactly what season of my life he was talking about. And it was a very difficult, very, very difficult season. And he showed me that in that season, so he's talking to me as I'm watching it. He says to me, in that season, you were backed into a corner. And I was. If you knew the details, you would only describe it as I was backed or we were backed into a corner. Like literally backed into a corner. Um, and then he showed me that in that position, because you know, the heart only has two, two choices, right? The heart, when, when it experiences something that's uncomfortable or traumatic or, or whatever, the heart either gets healed, gets truth and gets healed, which is very rare, in, in, you know, instantly, or the heart doesn't like discomfort, pain, trauma, fear. So the heart is, by, by, just by our human nature, is designed, and it's a God-given coping mechanism. Our heart is designed to be able to disassociate or to create our own levels of protection and comfort and security. So in, in this season where I was backed into a corner or we were backed into a corner, he showed me, it was funny to watch because it was like I was carving it out with my bum, but he showed me that I was carving a tunnel for myself into this, this uh, inadequate refuge. I, I just saw myself like, got, like carving backwards, backwards, backwards like this and I had created a tunnel. And he said to me, he said, you still have this operating system, that whenever you feel backed into a corner, you are addicted to this pathway that you have carved out. And then he reminded me that our neuropathways in our brain, and this is scientifically proven, is as addictive to us as what heroin is to an addict. So he, all this stuff happens at lightning speed, right? So as soon as something happens, I automatically go into this. And I don't even have to be aware of it, that this is a thing when you build in your subconscious, once it's built, it's done. But so th these things happen at lightning speed all the time. And so, yeah, so he showed me that. And then he said to me, in that process, do you remember me, do you, do you remember me talking about how when the enemy traumatizes us, it's never just about the trauma, that, he, that his design and his strategy is to um, perpetuate shame and guilt. Do you remember me talking about that when he said to Israel, I'll lay it up as a reproach against you? And in that, he marks us and he, and he labels us. He gives us a new name to rewrite your identity, right? So in that process of me carving my way into this tunnel, that was my own protection, my own security at the time, he showed me that I had come into agreement with this label that the enemy had given me. And the cost of exchanging that, because no one wants that. When, we, when you put it like that, everyone's like, the tunnel's bad. But the cost of exchanging that means to come out and be fully exposed again, fully vulnerable. That is the fear of the Lord. And sometimes you don't always have, and I've said this before, it's, like, it's not like when you play poker with God, like you know, you, you, you're gonna know what hand he's gonna play. You just, you just don't know, you just gotta go all in. So he, he showed me that coming out of the place is a cost and it, and it requires vulnerability and, 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 and that's what that naked without heaviness means. I'll share the rest of how that whole conversation played out in a minute. I just wanna unpack what he said to me. And I'm just gonna read it exactly as he gave it to me. He said, we make idols of our pain, of our wounds and our injustices and our fears. We actually create idols out of them. 
Where we have idols, we are in our own ways. Where we are in our own ways, we don't have fear of the Lord. And where we have no fear of the Lord, we have no joy. Where we have no joy, we have no true rest or confidence. And where we have no rest or confidence, we are tethered to that place. Now, we know that the spirit world is like leaven. The kingdom of heaven is leaven. The kingdom of darkness is leaven. Your inner world is like leaven. Now, when you're tethered to a place, it's not just, all right, I'm tethered, okay, moving on. No, you are being taxed continually. You are paying a spiritual tax. And the tax increases over time because he comes to kill, steal and destroy. So we need to know what we're tethered to. We need to know what we've carved out for ourselves. We need to know what idols we're serving that we've fashioned ourselves, aka our sorrows, because we're being taxed. And we can't, of course, we can't afford what we're being taxed. So eventually we end up trading out more and more of who we are. We get more broken down. I want to go back to Proverbs, but this time 17.22. Very similar portion of Scripture. A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. The reason why I wanted to go here is because it just, it just adds that little bit more. Now, you know, we know what merry means. We know what, you know, broken means. I want to look at the word dries there. The word dries means to be ashamed, to be confused and to be disappointed. And the word bones has, you know, it's, it's layered, but the meanings are self, ourselves, because it makes up our framework of who we are. And it also means the physical portion of your skeletal, you know, framework, makeup. So... We see here that the garment of heaviness, I'm using the same, I'm using different terminology for the same thing. So where I say garment of heaviness, put sorrow there. Where where I'm saying sorrow, put idol there. It's all the same thing, right? So where we allow, so sorry, with the garment of heaviness is something that we actually allow by carving out a counterfeit solution, counterfeit protection, counterfeit security. And that's based on our own understanding. So we create our own sorrow it taxes both our physical bodies and our emotional and mental and spiritual well-being. And where we're paying taxes in the spirit, that's what we're worshipping. Again, idolatry. And that's what the word says. Now, the thing about value systems is that, I'll just explain again what a value system is. It's, it's, a, it's our operating system that we have justified We've justified how we build internally and how we steward our inner worlds. You're not going around thinking about it because you've already justified it. It's just, it's done, it's sorted, it's become concrete. It's, it's just who you are. That's not how the Lord sees it. That's not how other people see it, but that's how we see it. We, we're, not, we're not walking around constantly aware of our value systems. And just want to mention, um, you don't, I, don't, I don't think I gave it to you, but it doesn't matter. But um, I just want to mention Proverbs 10.22 that talks about, you know, the blessings of the Lord make one rich. And it adds no, I was going to say soil, because I put sorrow and toil. Because in one, in one translation, it's, it's sorrow. And in another translation, it's toil. 
right? So the blessings of the Lord make one rich and it adds no toil or sorrow with it. There's no place for it. So if we're doing things according to the Lord's value system, there shouldn't be any sorrow. All right, one second. All right, so going back to, um, I'll, I'll explain how this finally broke for me. So I was, this, this, this thing I'm describing to you about this, where I was having this dialogue with the Lord, I was contending for something. And I was doing everything that I knew to do. The same thing that, you know, we, we were all being taught. I was, you know, I was decreeing, I was repenting, I was praising, I was, you know, if I needed to go to the courts, I'd go to the courts, everything. I was contending and I was doing everything that I knew to do. But in that, I knew there was something missing. I didn't know what, but I just knew that it wasn't on his end. I knew it was on my end. And while I was letting, I was actually letting my heart speak to him about my frustrations. And I was even saying things like this, because I don't, I'm sure you guys have heard me talk about let the heart speak. All right, and then if I haven't, you'll, you'll catch up really quickly. I was letting my heart speak, and I even said to him, I feel kind of gaslit by the word. You're saying that we, we, you've blessed us with everything, and, you know, and, but you're also saying this, and then I'm doing everything and it's not happening. I feel kind of gaslit. I feel like there's all these hoops that, are, that I have to find. Has anybody here ever felt like that? Okay, good, all right. I was like, do I say it, do I not, do I say it, do I not? Anyway, so that's what letting the heart speak is. Basically being like King David and not, and not trying to pretend before the Lord because heaven sees the heart. And so I let my heart speak and, and, and I was you know, sharing my frustrations. And as I was doing that, I actually saw the word Psalm 113. So I was like, I didn't, you know, didn't remember what it said. So can you put that up please? Because I haven't got it written here. Okay, praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations, His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who dwells on high? Who humbles Himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth? He raises the poor out of the dust and he lifts the needy out of the ash heap that he may seat with him, that he may seat him with princes with the princes of his people. He grants the barren woman a home like a joyful mother of children praise the Lord. Now, after I read that, I was like there's a lot of praise in there. Praise, 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 praise and the name, praising and names. There's a lot there's a lot of repetition there. And but I I realised that he was, you know, trying to show me something. And I could, I understood why he took me there because at the end there where it talks about he raises the poor and the needy out of the dust and the ash heap. Now, just take out the word finances away from poor and needy. We're, we, we all have areas of our worlds that we're, we, we're poor and needy. Poor and needy meaning deficit. Where you have lack of something, that is poor and needy. It doesn't always have to pertain to finances, right? So I could, I could totally identify as a poor and needy, like I had portions of my world that were poor and needy. So I knew that this was a key. Okay, I don't even know where I am now. Okay, so I thought I'd do the logical thing and to make sense of that coordinate, of that scripture, I was like, okay, so this is about praising His name. I obviously need to, to, to find the right facet 
of His Name to magnify and praise. Before I even was able to to utter a word, something quickened in my spirit. And, And what quickened was, it's not which of His names, it's His name. Now I'm not talking about Yahweh or if you're Jew and you can't say Yud, Hey, Bav, Hey. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, because I said to him, I said, what even is your name? And then he said to me, because I wasn't asking for, I want you to understand, I'm not, I wasn't asking for a pronoun. I wasn't asking for, for a descriptive part of his character and nature. I was asked, I thought I was unlocking a mystery of heaven, right? I was like, what even is your name? And then he said to me, literally, he said this. He said, why do you ask what my name is, seeing that it is wonderful? And I was like, I've heard this before. I was like, you've just minnowed me. And Todd was talking about that on Sunday morning. So I was like, right. So I'm going to go to that portion. I'm not now, but um, I, went to, I went to that story. And the word wonderful means secret. So why do you ask my name, seeing that it is secret? And it also means too hard, hidden, great, difficult, and things that are too high. So I was like, right, a bit of a smack. I was like, okay. So then I, I overlaid that to the Psalm 113. And this is what I realised. I realised that the, even his name is above the glory of the heavens, that he has to humble himself. Do, do, have you guys looked at what the word humble there means? It means to depress, to sink, to, to lower your base, to humiliate. He has to do that to behold the heavens and the earth. Now, obviously he does that happily, obviously. But I realised that I was trying to reduce the Lord into a tiny bandwidth that was my problem, right? And also my understanding. So understanding slash bandwidth slash my problem. And I was getting frustrated when I wasn't getting the results that I wanted. Now, which is fine, he's used to it, but it can't be our MO forever. We can't live, uh, we, we can't, if, if we, in our walk of faith, we can't be trying to reduce him into our value systems. Now, he wanted me to bring an actual example. So when, when I realised what I had done, um, he, he brought my attention to this and he said, this is what I want you to talk about. And this is almost exactly what Daryl was talking about on Sunday afternoon. And he said, he said, I've got many names and we know them, right? We, we, sometimes we like to decree with them and, you know, just lovely. And the most popular, I'd say, would be Jehovah Jireh because it means that he provides. That's the one that everyone really likes, right? But then I realised, that's when I realised that we can make an idol out of his name. Now, before we all get freaked out, just let, let me explain what I'm talking about. We just read that an idol is something that we create ourselves that we, we distort the meaning of something to fit our own truth and our own interests and our own views. I just said that, right? So I'm not, I don't mean idolatry in that, he's, that we're, we're, we're worshipping a false part of him, like he's a false God. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when we reduce something to serve ourselves rather than the opposite. Okay? Now... This posture, I think, is appropriate and suitable if you're new to the faith and you're at milk stage because He wants us. He wants us to lay a hold of all of the facets of who He is. He wants that. 
So I'm not saying we shouldn't be doing that, but I'm saying we can't remain technon sons. We can't remain immature sons. We have to, we have to do, this is all unto journey, unto process. We have to mature and move on. That came out so much better when I was doing this at home, but... But what I'm trying to say is this, and I'm gonna read it exactly as I felt that he gave it to me. If we selectively choose the name of God to decree without adopting a more holistic approach, meaning journey, then what are we really doing? We're actually abdicating our full potential. We're actually abdicating what it means to become mature sons, what it means to co-rule and to co-reign. And we're also being poor stewards of our inner world. We are treating his name and his character and nature as a self-serving economy. A bit like the grace movement, but I'm not here to talk about that. And I think that the awe and the reverence have been taken out of the meaning of the fear of the Lord. We awe because he is so high above our ways. If all of the heavens and all of the earth, the glory of the heavens is something that he has to humble himself to behold. How much more are we demanding by trying to fit him through our flawed value systems and our bandwidths? So going back to the example of his names, he showed me, um, he showed me that the reason why those names are so purposeful and they're so amazing and you know, they've, they, bring, they bring great reward right? But he showed me that, it, that they, they're actually a revelatory reward of someone's journey. Some of them, not all of his names, but some of them. And I'm going to run through some of them. This is what I felt like he wanted me to share. Specifically Jehovah Jireh. So we all know and we all use it for, you know, when we're decreeing about provision and supply and all of this. But let's not forget that Jehovah Jireh was Abraham's revelation when he had gone through some hectic journey up on that mountain. He had just been asked to lay his son that represented his promise. His entire scroll, he was asked to sacrifice like an animal. That was hectic journey. It was from, from going through that process of what, you know, the story kind of glazes over it, but just don't, don't forget he was a man. And again, literally waited a hundred years for this boy. So he puts him on the altar and that's when he gets a revelation of, Jehovah Jireh, my God provides. But that came, that was a reward that came from process, came from journey, came from cost. And it's also the, the first mention of the fear of the Lord. Let's look at Jehovah Rapha. We get that in Exodus 15. I'm not gonna go over the story. Um, and obviously that's talking about, you know, the bitter waters. I think I've got this in the right order, the bitter waters. Um, now, and, and that's, but before God reveals that part of it, because God gave himself that name. I am the God that heals you. But before he said that, he actually said a few important things. He said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord, do what is right in my sight and keep my statutes. The reward of that is Jehovah Rapha. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not just, I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to you know, cash in on, on that part of his character and nature, but it doesn't come with any responsibility or cost on my part. And I think this is what makes the body sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick because we're not knowing what to put our hope in. The last one I wanna go over is Jehovah Nissi. 
and I'm getting all my pages all mixed up. Um, now we get that from a very strange series of events. So Jehovah Nissi, obviously meaning the Lord our banner is when um, he asks Moses to hold his rod up high for hours. It was a three person effort, right? Now, that was a very, very strange process. And it wasn't until the end of that, that Moses says, you know, he is a Lord, our banner. But let's not forget though, that the, the same rod that he was asked to hold up is the same rod that he had journeyed with the Lord for years before this point. The same rod that he was, you know, can you imagine how insecure he would have been in, in, in Pharaoh's court up against the sorcerers and the magicians? It was the same rod. Well, I'm assuming it was. Let's, 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 not, let's not, you know, split hairs over this. But it's the same thing. It's what the rod represents. It was the same rod that, you know, the, the Red Sea parts and strike the rock and this and that. It was that rod. So, so, so it, yes, we get Jehovah um, Nissi out of that. But we have to understand that that came through crazy journey on Moses' part. By that point, he had pillars in his inner temple of the goodness. He had testimonials of the goodness and the power of God. And that's when he confessed, he is the Lord our banner. So what I'm not saying is that we need to go back into works. I'm not, if you're hearing that, I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm saying we, we can't pull on character and nature of God forever without looking at our part, not, without going through due process and journey. That's what the heart journey is. The heart journey is maturing from technon to huios. Us Greeks laugh about that sometimes, but anyway. Um, all right, so back to me and my dirty laundry. All right, so I realised that I was trying to cash in on a part um, of his character and nature by reducing him to my problem. And basically he was saying, my name, you wanna know my name. My name is so far beyond any of your understanding. Just praise me because of who I am. Not what part of my name and character, what, what it can do for you. And what's one thing got to do with another, everything. Because what he said to me then is what I least expected. And I'm gonna remind you of what he said to me. He said, Christina, you don't understand joy because you don't understand how I see you. And that affects how you see me. So in a nutshell, because I have to like, you know, bring this back into remembrance. In a nutshell, this is what happened. I had accepted what the enemy had labeled me as. I had become addicted to the sorrow all subconscious, I wasn't thinking about it. I had justified it so much that I actually felt gaslit by scripture. It had become, it had so skewed my plumb line in that area that I had the audacity to say, I feel gaslit by your word. I had become so accustomed to that operating system because it gave me levels of control because I, I could go back into that tunnel whenever I needed to. It was my garment of heaviness. And at this point in the conversation, I knew I had to yield it. And the greatest cost was accepting whatever outcome he saw fit. So my part was coming back out into exposure, vulnerability and nakedness without my garment of heaviness at the cost of accepting whatever he saw fit. And it reminded me much of the um, book, Hind's Feet for High Places. How many people have read that? It's an amazing book. Um, changed my 
it just changed a lot in my world. And you know, Much Afraid is the name of the character. And 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 because the reason why I'm mentioning that this the story, if you haven't read it, please read it. Um, but the reason why I'm mentioning it is because when I got to this part of the conversation, he basically said to me, because when he said to me, the cost is you coming out without any guarantee of what it's going to look like. It's what I see fit, right? Even if you don't get what you want. And that's what Much Afraid had to accept. Even if you never give it to me, you're still worthy. Now, just think about that for a second. Because each and every one of us in this room have things that we've been contending for and wanting and asking for. Even things that he's promised you. But are we reducing him to the promise? Is he still worthy? Is he only worthy when he gives us what he said he's going to give us? That's value system, advanced. Our motivation should always be simply because he is worthy. And then, then he gave me, this is where like it all gets to the juicy end of the thing. He said to me, he said, you, you have to see yourself as in to help in the coming out process. You have to see yourself as completely exonerated. And yes, that makes sense. If you're a Christian and you've been in church for more than five minutes, we all know that he died on the cross and we're completely set free. We know it, but we don't know it. You have to see yourself as completely exonerated. This is a part I didn't see coming. And I said to him, I said, I know what you're saying is true, but I don't know how. I don't know how. And you know why? Because it was a complete blind spot for me. And you know what? Blind spots serve you. They really do. We've justified something so much that it becomes something that is concrete in our worlds. Can you see that I'm kind of like saying the same thing over and over again? Become concrete in our world. Part of our operating system is justified. Therefore, it is. It just is the way that it is. But it's a blind spot. They become part of your value system. So in his goodness, because I, I believe that he revealed a blind spot without the help of a human vessel or a dream or anything because I was genuinely wanting answers. I was genuinely wrestling with him. And he showed me the blind spot in a way that my heart understood. And he showed it as my life as a parable. And, and the, main, the main component of that was he showed me my children. So much of our value systems are attached to our parenting and our children. So just, just hit me where it hurts, Lord. So now while I unpack this, just be aware that this is my blood and guts on the table. And I'm okay with that, right? I really don't mind because I have said this so many times since that moment. It has been the most significant deliverance I have experienced in my journey thus far. Right? So I'm more than happy to share. But as I'm doing that, feel free to allow the Lord to at least be able to breathe on your blind spots. Just be open. So he basically said to me, I needed to see my children exonerated. I needed to see them as exonerated in order for me to see myself. And it sounded really good. And I was like, but what does that even mean? What does that even look like? Like, you, what, is, what is the step for now? What does that look like now? Give me strategy. And then he said to me, he said, you have contributed to their emotional prisons. Whether you mean it or not, whether you're aware of it or not, you have contributed. 
to things that they have believed about themselves where they've carved out their own tunnels. And he said, you need to release them from that. Don't let them wait years carrying that through their lives with them. You, you need to release them from that. And he said, and I, and I was like, how? And he goes, exactly, exactly is what you're dreading. You're gonna have to pull them out in front of you and you're going to have to explain that to them. Now, so I did. I, I addressed each of them individually and I pulled them out in front of me and I basically said to them, you know, kids are funny. They're kind of like giggling because they're not sure what's going on and then they're like, oh, mum's being serious and, and then, oh, but mum, why are you crying? And then they're giggling again and then like, oh, like, you know. Um, I basically sat them down and I, 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 I did it when the iron was hot because believe me, if you go, you sleep on that kind of thing, you, your value systems just kind of creep back in. So I sat them down and I said, you know what? There are things about yourself that you believe that I have contributed to, that my words have created, my actions have created. And I want you to know that they're not true. And I want you to know that I don't see you that way. I don't want you seeing yourself that way. And the quickest way that this is gonna land for you is if you see it, because kids, kids understand parables. If you see it as you are completely set free from any prison you've ever felt and never had language for when it comes to me. You need to see yourself as exonerated. That from this minute right now, and I named the time of the day that it was, I said, from this minute right now, I remember nothing of what you've done. I remember nothing. How you choose to behave from this moment forward, how you choose to speak, how you choose to conduct yourself and, and, and address, you know, engage with me, that is how I will then address you. That is what my opinion of you will be. Not an easy thing to do. And as I was saying it, the Lord kept saying to me, as I was talking, He kept saying to me, can a nation be saved in a day? Can a nation be saved in a day? Can a nation be saved in a day? And I just said it out loud. And my kids were like, I said, can a nation be saved in a day? Then it changed and He said, can your family be saved in a day? Can your family be saved in a day? Then I realised what He was talking about because that, that was probably one of, the, one of the most difficult things as a parent that I've had to navigate is trying to govern well, trying to discipline, trying to bring order. And I've got good kids. I've got very well-behaved kids. And, and it, it wasn't all wood, hay, straw. I've put in a lot of gold, silver and precious stones. But there was still a lot of wood, hay, straw that had to come out a lot of my own experiences growing up that I had projected on them. Can a nation be saved? Can, can, can my family be saved in a day? I can't tell you the subconscious torment that would come with, I think I'm governing right, I think I'm disciplining right, but oh, with the little hearts, because you know, I'm working in the healing. And like, you know, so it was, I was always like this. And there was always this hook that I could not get over. Then when I did this, and I, I, and I just confessed it, and I said, can this family be saved in a day? This is this family being saved in a day. From that moment onward, my house completely shifted. The kids became lighter. It was like little chickens coming out of their little, like, is it yet yeah, we can scratch over here, we can do this. That, that's what it was like. And I did not trigger, I genuinely did not trigger over things that would normally send 
gutsadollas flying across the house. Not really, I don't throw pots and pans. Is that what you call them? Pots and pans? Is it? Yeah. Anyway, um, so I genuinely did not trigger. You know what? You know what happened? The sting had been removed. Death, where is your sting? Don't just limit that to death, death. Death looks like many things, it has many expressions. There was no sting. And I kept saying to Nick for ages, have you noticed? Have you noticed how different things are? Like, can you tell the difference? And you could, couldn't you? It was genuine deliverance. I kept saying that. I'm known here as the exorcist, but I I was walking around for a week going, I've had genuine deliverance. I've had genuine deliverance. Not that your deliverance isn't genuine, I'm just saying. (laughs) It was very genuine deliverance. (laughs) And you want your money back. (laughs) So anyway, I'm very conscious of the time. I'll I'll quickly get through the last bit. Um, So yeah, yeah, I'll go back to that. So in the rest of what I'm about to unpack, and I'm aware that I'm gonna go a few minutes over, um, in the rest of what I'm about to unpack, think about your nation. Can your nation be saved in a day? What is your nation? Is it your marriage? Can your marriage be saved in a day? Can your business be saved in a day? Can your finances be saved? Can your health, can your family be saved in a day? And, and I think when, he, when we get that portion of scripture, it's meant to sound crazy. It's meant to sound mission impossible. Because really, how can a nation be saved in a day? It looks like coming into agreement with complete and utter freedom in what the cross paid for, that you are no longer obligated to, to, to keep a name that the enemy has leveraged your trauma for. You are no longer, you know, there's so much I wanna say, but you are completely exonerated. If we just understand that, he talks about the mustard seed moving a mountain. If you can just get that seed, can something be saved in a day? Yes, it can. So he showed me that, that in order to, be, to understand joy, to understand what, what, that I'm exonerated, I had to release where I was sowing the opposite. I was sowing bondage and I had to release that first. And what you sow, you reap. Can you see why I kind of had to do it first? Because I was reaping what I was sowing. I was tethered to that reality. I was paying taxes, we all were. And I couldn't receive joy until I surrendered my value system in that area. It cost a lot to sit my kids down and say that. And in order to do that, I needed fear of the Lord. And to get fear of the Lord, we have to really take responsibility for our, our value systems and how we've built internally. Joy is totally connected to the fear of the Lord. It's the greatest reward, but it comes with the greatest cost. Joy is not an emotion. It's not happiness, two very different things. Joy is a condition, it's a state. It's, it's a currency of heaven. Happiness comes and goes. Now, um, don't put this up, I don't even know if I've given it to you, but Nehemiah 8.10 talks about, we all know this, the joy of the Lord is our strength. The word strength there means to prevail, to be stout, to be impudent, which, did you know that impudent means to not give the enemy, okay, I'm now, I've now fit this into my narrative here, to not give something, so it actually means to not give something what it's due. So to be impudent in where joy is our strength means to not give the enemy the taxes he demands. You're not obligated to do that. And then 
he just kept talking and he said, joy is the exhilaration that comes with the realisation that you've been totally exonerated. Exonerated beyond any ability and capacity you have to create that yourself. One that causes us to behold Him in the awe and the reverence that He's due. You're not gonna get exonerated any other way. True joy is the fear of the Lord and the fear of the Lord brings true joy. So in landing, I just, wanna, um, I just wanna put the cherry on the cake. The Lord woke me up at four o'clock this morning. And, well, that's not true. I woke up before that and I decided not to go to the gym. So I was awake, but he decided to speak to me as I was trying to go back to sleep at 4 a.m. Um, he said to me, just out of the blue, he said, what would it look like to praise me if you had no needs? So I'm gonna pose the same question to you. What would it look like for you to praise Him or worship Him if you had no need at all? Now, I'm smart enough to recognise a life-changing moment when it's presented to me, so I didn't answer straight away. It actually took me hours to answer. And by mid-morning, I came to Him and I said, I'd feel worthy. If I had no need and I was to worship and I was to praise you, I'd feel worthy. And then he brought the following scriptures and he just, it was like he just all in a bundle and he tied a massive bow around it. He took me to Romans 8.30. This is just a portion of that scripture. So moreover, whom he pre... Have you got it? Yep. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Now, I just, want to, I just want to drill down on two or three things really quickly. The word predestined there, we, we all know what it means, but it, it also means your limit has already been set by the Lord, obviously. Your limit has already been set. But our value systems, in our own understanding, we, we're always changing our limits. We define our own. So it means that our limit has already been set and it means that He has declared and decreed. The Lord God Almighty has declared and decreed over you. The word justified means to render just or innocent, exonerated. And the root word of that word justified means to be made equitable, to be made worthy. And the word glorified is to render glorious to make full of, to make full, not just to bring honour, to make full of honour and to magnify. So what he's saying there, because these is use, right? He's saying that he's already made you innocent. He's already exonerated you. I know that use isn't English, but it's just these use. Anyway, um, he's made you equitable. So you are worthy. He's already set your limit and declared and decreed that over you. And He has rendered you glorious. He makes you full of honour and He magnifies you. How many of us are gonna live the rest of our lives and not see a smidgen of that? You know why? Because of our value systems. So where you don't feel worthy, you're serving another master and you're believing another report. So... Whether it's shame or pain or a wound or an injustice or disappointment or simply yourself, it's an idol and it's keeping you in sorrow. Now, what I'm not saying is that 
your wounds and your pains and your disappointments and the injustices that you've suffered are not, are not important. That's, I, I, I did not said any of that in any of this. I'm talking about the idol that we create out of them, the thing that serves you out of them. Because that state of sorrow preaches to us subconsciously, consciously, all the time. And now, if that's true, which it is, how do we reconcile a scripture like Mark eleven twenty four? Can you put that up, please? Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask. Now, in the King James Version, it doesn't say um, ask, it says desire. Right? So just, just think about, oh, God actually cares about things that you like. Right? Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Not many people live that as their reality. Now, the key is in the next verse. 11.25 says, If you have anything against anyone, forgive him. Now, I, I, just, I wanna say something about that because that's not quite accurate. In the original text, it doesn't say anyone. It says, if you have anything against any. And the word any there in the, in the original Greek means a person, an object, or anything at all. So don't limit that to a person in your world. If there is something in your world, an object, anything at all that has raised itself above the knowledge of God, you're not gonna get the things that you ask for sometimes. That becomes a legal right in your world. So it's not just about forgiving people. It's about anything that, that you have tethered your heart to that is not conducive to the currency and the economy of heaven. So we see here the whole thing has come in full circle. Pain causes distrust, distrust causes sorrow, sorrow is idolatry, a sorrowful heart craves joy, joy requires yieldedness, yieldedness is fear of the Lord, fear of the Lord brings joy, joy makes a, a, a merry heart and it brings life to the soul and the body. That's really what I'm talking about. So what I wanna do, if you just, um, I'll, I'll, with communion, I just, wanna, I just wanna speak some things over you. So just get your communion out. If you could just do what you do with communion and put your pads on and stuff. Thanks. So as we're doing this and as I'm speaking, I'm gonna speak some things over you and then I'm going to lead you into prayer for those of you who are willing to engage. Um, but as I'm doing this, I want you to hold in your heart that thing that your nation, what it is that you wanna see saved in a day. Because there really is a rip the bandaid off reality sometimes. Not everything has to be this arduous journey. So like I said, when I get to the part where for those of you who are willing to engage or get you to, I'll tell you to stand and to repeat after me, but I'll just speak this first. And I'm gonna do it exactly as He gave it to me. I thought this was part of my preach because when I was in the flow, it was just coming out and then He said to me, no, He goes, you're gonna, you're gonna speak this over them. So just, just posture yourselves before the Lord. Holy Spirit, I thank You for each and every word that was spoken tonight that came directly from Your heart. I thank You. I thank You that it's a reality, it's a thing that we all want joy because the garment of heaviness is unbearable and it's crushing. 
And we understand that joy requires, requires vulnerability before you. It's a posture of trust. It's pure, unadulterated trust. That is the fear of the Lord. And we thank You that the reward of that posture is joy. A joy that can never be taken. A joy that requires no effort on our part. We thank You for the understanding that heaviness is an idol. Sorrow is an idol. And we understand that idols are what keep us tethered to this inferior realm. And in Psalm 24, you talk about who can ascend the holy hill. You talk about idols keeping us from ascending. They make our hearts heavy. We need to see sorrow for what it is. We thank You that You care about every disappointment. You care about every betrayal. You care about every injustice and every wound, but not unto idolatry. We thank You that we understand that sorrow are the things that cause us to remain technon sons. That, that posture doesn't allow us to think higher than we feel. So if you want to repeat after me, I'll just ask for you to stand. Holy Spirit, I choose to acknowledge those things that I have allowed to become idols in my heart. Things that I have allowed the enemy to leverage off of. Injustices that Jesus died for that He desires to heal. I choose now to no longer come into agreement with the sorrow. I confess and repent that this is what keeps us from the fear of the Lord. Idolatry where I've carved out my own way my own protection and that the cost of laying that down is trust. And I choose now to accept and receive that my exchange for trust is joy. Joy is the exhilaration that comes with the realisation that I've been totally exonerated. I freely accept the truth that I am exonerated in your eyes. And I ask now for a grace to work out, trade out, and journey those things that You're revealing to me right now.
that are no longer conducive with me ascending the holy hill, with me not getting what I ask for, things that I have raised above the knowledge of You. I receive Your truth now, Holy Spirit. Take your communion whenever you're ready.